I want to talk today about God and something that God's never seen. And uh, I want us to preface that by reading three verses that are there at the top of the uh, paper. So let's look at Second Chronicles 16.9. Read with me. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. Now, did you pick that up, that if you're loyal to the Lord and your relationship with him, that he's going to show himself strong in your behalf? How many of you want God on your side? Amen? Be loyal to him. It says be loyal to him. Look at Proverbs 15.3. Read it with me. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Every place. Yeah. Every place. Job 34, 20, and 21. Read it. God carefully watches the goings-on of all mankind. He sees them all. No darkness is thick enough to hide evil men from his eyes. Now, isn't that amazing? These verses indicate that God sees everything. He sees everything. Now, most people have the idea that God doesn't see everything they do. But God sees it all. The scripture says he sees it all. From him, it says, nothing is hidden. And so from the beginning of time until this present day, God hasn't missed a thing. He hasn't missed a thing. He knows it all. And yet in my study of the scriptures, I've discovered that there are some things that God has never seen. He's never seen them. And I want to share those with you today because they're very important to the life of this church. They're very important to the life of this church and its ministry of reaching the world for Jesus Christ, because that's our message, isn't it? And our world starts right here in Las Vegas. And so these are some things that God has never seen. Number one is God has never seen a person he didn't love. Did you know that? He's never seen a person that he didn't love. First John 4, 8 says that God is... Love. So that's part of his person. That's part of his very nature. That's who he is. Some people have the idea of this stern God sitting up in heaven, just waiting for you to step out of bounds and he can take care of you. But that's not what the scriptures teach about our God. God is not anger, hostility, and hatred. God is Love. He's love. And that's a fact that you can be sure of. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now, he was speaking to Israel when he said that, but it also applies to us. Look at Romans 8.38 and 39. Let's read it, okay? For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us 
from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that amazing? Nothing can separate us from the God, our God's love. He loves you. Turn the person next to you and say, God loves you. Yeah, he really does. He really does love you. And if you'll, uh, John 3.16, which you've memorized, we'll start there and then I'll read a couple verses. It says, let's say it, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then it goes on to say, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So it's not our responsibility to put condemnation on anybody. When I grew up in church, there's a lot of condemnation. That's not our message. I don't know where we ever got that idea. That's not our message. That is not our responsibility to put condemnation on anybody. We need to lift that off of people. They're getting hit with that all the time. But our ministry is one of encouragement and one of love, see. Uh, the scripture says that he came into the world to love the world, to save the world. And uh, in John 17, he says, As the Father has sent me into the world, so am I sending you into the world. So my ministry into the world is to be the ministry of Jesus to the world. Why? Because I'm part of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head and I'm the body. See, and I am the expression through which Jesus' love is taken to the world. And that's where we are, and that's what our ministry is, see. And so, uh, someone said, well, isn't there going to be a judgment day, Pastor? Isn't there going to be a judgment day? Yes, there's going to be a judgment day when he comes back. Someone said, Jesus is coming back. It was on a bumper sticker. Jesus is coming back, and boy, is he going to be mad. Well, he's not going to be coming to be a savior then. He's going to be coming to be a judge. And he's going to be a judge then, and that's his job. It's not your job and my job. I'm never given the position of a judge. He's the judge. It says he's going to judge the living and the dead when he comes back. Okay? And that's when he'll take care of that. Aren't you glad that's his job and not yours? Yes, I am too. So today is the day of God's favor and God's grace. So God's never seen a person he didn't love. But God's also never seen a sinner he couldn't save. Okay? Write that in your notes. I've met a lot of people who thought they were very great sinners. People who said, Pastor, if I came to your church, it'd fall down. I said, prove it. So they came to church. It didn't fall down. <laughs> yeah, God's bigger than that, isn't he? Yeah. So when reading the Word of God, you'll discover and you'll see that God uh, specializes in saving great sinners. 
In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save those that are lost. And you know, you can't be just a little lost or a lot lost, can you? If you're lost, you're lost. You may just be around the corner from where you live, but if you're disoriented and you don't know where you are, you're lost. Or you could be on Pikes Peak back in Colorado where I'm from and be lost and not know where you are. Okay? But if you're lost, you're lost. Well, the demoniac Gadara uh, was under the control of a legion of demons. In fact, they called him legion. His 6,000 demons were in his body. I mean, you're full of the devil then, aren't you? Yeah, you're really full of the devil. And so he would live among the tombs and the chains that they had on him wouldn't hold him. He'd break him free. And he would cry out, screaming and cutting himself with stones. But when he met Jesus, Jesus set him free from those demons. And they jumped at some pigs and they ran down the slope and drowned in the river, okay? Or the pond or the lake or whatever it was. And if you're a trivia buff, that's the first mention of deviled ham. Okay? <laughs> so when the Lord did that, he was changed and he was in his right mind and he got to get to home to mom and the kids again. He didn't have to stay among the tombs because God saved him and set him free. And then there's a woman in Samaria in John chapter 4. She was a big sinner. She had had seven husbands, and she presently had a living boyfriend, and uh, Jesus offered her some living water, and she took it, <laughs> and it changed her life. And she became an evangelism to the harlots of Samaria and said, come and listen to the man who told me everything I ever did. She was set free from their sin. So... How many of you know any big sinners? Any of you? You know some some in your family? Uh, (laughs) I don't know. You know? Anyway, one of the biggest sinners that I've ever known and uh, is uh, an acquaintance of mine, Uh, it's sort of like uh, Dean. I say Dean's my friend. He pastors a church in in, uh, Las Vegas. But this is about the fourth time we've spoke since we went to school, you know. But we've been friends. Because I called him up and I said, I need a place to park my my uh, motorhome. That was the last time I was here. I had a little one. And uh, he said, sure. Well, that's what friends do, right? That's what friends do. They, <laughs> they help take care of you when you need them. Say, well, Dean's my friend. Well, this guy's a friend. I've had him speak at my church and and uh, he's, a, he's, he's a great guy, but I wouldn't want to tangle with him. He's one of the biggest sinners I know. He worked for the DeMarco family out of Salt Lake, and, and they would bring drugs out of Mexico to be distributed in the United States. And by his own confession, he'd murdered several people in the process of, of doing this. And uh, his last major crime was trying to extort a million dollars from United Airlines, and uh, this 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 was his plan. 
He and his friend were going to blow up two planes leaving Las Vegas. This was back in the uh, 70s. And uh, they were going to demand, uh, after blowing up two planes, passengers, everything, they were going to ask United Airlines for a million dollars. And they had just been a couple of planes hijacked after they had made this plan, the plan. So they decided, one of them happened to be D.B. Cooper, who hijacked the first airplane out of Seattle, bailed out over Washington and Oregon. They found some of the cash down by the Columbia River, but they've never located him. They don't know what happened to him. And uh, <clears throat> uh, so instead of uh, going through with that plan, they just wrote, United Airlines and said, you give us a million dollars or we're going to blow up your plane. And uh, so they said, yes, we'll do that. And uh, they bought the plan. And so Ron and his friend, uh, well, Ron's friend was going to be on a hill uh, and he was going to be go down by the bridge to pick up the money that the United Airlines would drop off. Now, it happened somewhere in the Las Vegas area, but I don't know the area. And I just want you to know the money's not still there, okay? So you don't have to go, you don't have to go looking for that, okay? But uh, his friend was going to take out the feds when they came around to find out who was taking the money. Uh, but he got cold feet and he took off, and Ron never heard from him since. And he probably didn't want to see Ron because Ron paid the price, okay? But Ron went down and by the bridge where the satchel had been dropped and opened it. Oh, it's money, you know. It's all here. And so he was ready to go. And here came the feds, and they surrounded him and said, you're under arrest. And he said, well, what I'm under arrest for? And they said, um, uh, uh, for taking this money, for executing this plot. And... uh, uh, Ron, uh, just a minute, i got to get my, my spot here. <laughs> That's the problem when you preach with notes, you know. you got to keep referring to them, you know. I'm not the extemporaneous pastor who just flows up here, but I, uh, I, have, to, I have to work. It's work, okay? It's work sometimes. <laughs> but when he saw the money, he said... I, I, when I saw the money, I said, this is money. I'm going to take this to the police department. And so uh, they thought they had a hero on their hands, you know. And uh, so they took Ron to town and took him to the police station. And uh, they gave him a, a cigarette and a cup of coffee. And, and then they went into their office and they saw his record. And they came in and they took away his cigarette and his cup of coffee. And uh, he was... He was sentenced later in Salt Lake City to 25 years in prison at McNeil Island in Washington State. It's on an island out in the middle of Puget Sound. And uh, after several months of being in prison, an old con came up to him and said, "Uh, young man, uh, if you really want to be free, you need to read this book. And he gave him a, a Bible. And so he began to read the Bible, 
and Ron, Ron had, had never heard the name of Jesus except used as a swear word. He had never read the Bible. He had never heard anybody pray. And one day, though, he knelt down by his bunk and he asked Jesus to come into his heart. Now, maybe you're not a big sinner, but we're all sinners. Yes. Amen? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the scripture said. But God specializes in making new people out of sinners. And he yet has to see a sinner that he couldn't save. In a second, he can purify their heart and their mind and their thoughts and make them into a new creature. All one has to do is call upon the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. saved. Isn't that a good word? Yes. Don't you like that word? Yes. Aren't you glad you're saved? Yes. Say, I'm saved. I'm saved. I know that I am. I know that. Amen. <laughs> so God's never seen a person in love, and he's never seen a sinner he couldn't save. And God's never seen a sickness he couldn't heal. Everywhere Jesus went, he was healing the sick. Everywhere he went. There are 41 recorded accounts of physical and mental healing in the Gospels. And many people, though, don't believe that Jesus heals. There's whole denominations that have statements against the fact that Jesus healed. But... Uh, they say that sickness is a punishment from God. But the scriptures don't teach that. That's not in the book. Look at Matthew chapter 12, verse 15 on the second page there. And read it with me. Great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Great multitudes followed him, and he'd take on the whole multitude and minister healing to them. Matthew 14.25 says, His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people, and he healed them, so he took care of Syria. Matthew 8.16, They brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and he healed all who were sick. Amen. Matthew 14.14, 14, Jesus was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick, Matthew 19, 2. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there, Matthew 21, 14. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. That tells me that Jesus is a healer. Amen. Amen? Jesus is a healer. Hebrews 13, 8 says he's the same yesterday. Today and forever. Amen? Amen. So today's a day of healing. This is the favorable year of the Lord. And that's why we pray for the sick. When Jesus was giving his great commission to his disciples, he says, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils, they'll speak with new tongues, they'll take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them and they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. They shall recover. They shall recover. You know, there needs to be real recovery ministry happening in the church, shouldn't there? 
all sorts of people recovering from all sorts of ailments and sicknesses and disease because Jesus is a healer. And he noticed, he said, these signs shall follow my believers. How many believers are here? How many of you have signs following? See, signs ought to be following you. There ought to be evidence following you wherever you go that Jesus is ministering through you to other people. These signs shall follow them that believe. And you know why he says to use your hand? You know why he says that? I found it. It's in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 3. And this is what it says. This is in the uh, New Living Bible. I see God the Holy One. His brilliant splendor fills the heavens. The earth is filled with his praise. Rays of brilliance flash from his hands, for there is the hiding place of his power. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's the hiding place of his power. That's the Christian's secret weapon for sickness. Is that good? Yes. That's good. That's what it says. And so we as a people need to use our hands for warfare against sickness and disease and let the anointing power of God flow through our hands to other people and bring the transformation to their life. We, uh, I was preaching on uh, the laying on of hands one day in church. We'd had a young lady who was babysitting. Uh, she has a little girl. She's babysitting another kid. And they were down at Lake Union in Washington. I was pastoring in Washington then, Seattle. And uh, Lake Union is the blackest lake you've ever seen in your life. It's between Lake Washington and the locks on the Sound. And uh, there used to be an old uh, uh, gas works there for manufacturing gas products. And uh, she was down there with their daughter and this little girl, and they had their runners off, and they were letting them float like boats in this lake. And uh, they got out a little too far, and they dropped off a ledge. And her little girl had had one swimming lesson and knew how to kick, and so she kicked and got out. But the other little girl didn't know what to do, and she just sank down into the mire. And uh, so she came running, Mommy, 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 Susie's gone into the water. And so she screams and yells for help, and some people start running over there. And, and uh, a young uh, spirit-filled boy uh, said, I, I'll go in after her. And he, he, they prayed, and he dove in, and well, he was just reaching for anything because you can't see in that water. And uh, they called the... Uh, aid car to come, and uh, so it was on its way, and he was diving, and, and it had been a long time, much longer than would be hopeful when they got their little girl out, and they were doing CPR on her. The medics came, and they rushed her off to Children's Hospital there, and and uh, later I was informed, and I was asked to go and, and minister there, and, and as I went in, uh, to that room privately, the Lord just spoke to me and said, take authority over the spirit of death. 
And so I took authority over the spirit of death that she would not die. And uh, I went ahead and prayed for her healing, but that wasn't the instruction that I got. That I got to do that. Maybe somebody else gets to do the other, but, you know, pastors always pray for healing, you know, <laughs> whether they get the word of the Lord or not because they believe in healing. Amen? And so anyway, um, this young lady was in church that morning, and uh, we were, at the end of the service, we were going to anoint hands. I, I want anointed hands because... That's the hiding place of his power, so I'm giving all my congregation an assignment. They were going to go do some praying with their hands and anoint people uh, with oil and lay hands on them. And she came up and she said, I want you to anoint my hands. I'm going to go down to the hospital today. This is Sunday. She said, yes, yesterday the doctors told me that the family's coming in Monday and uh, it looks like they're going to pull the plug on the little girl and let her go. And she said, I can't let that happen. Anoint my hands so she'll live. So we anointed her hands, and uh, she takes off for the hospital. And she goes in and she prays for the little girl and then leaves. Her parents come in the next day and with the doctors are going in to see their child, possibly for the last time. And they're standing by her and uh, touching her, rubbing her leg or something, and she opens her eyes. <laughs> First time. She opened her eyes. She's about 40, 40 years old now. Bobby has a family of her own because the Lord healed her as a believer laid her hands on that little girl and the Lord brought her to life again. See, Jesus, Jesus is a healer. Amen? Jesus is a healer. And so God's never seen a sickness he can't heal. But then there's another thing, number four is that God's never seen a circumstance he couldn't change. He's never seen a circumstance he couldn't change. And the ministry of Jesus began by changing circumstances. The mother of the bride was going to be embarrassed by the fact that they ran out of wine at the wedding at the Canaan of Galilee. And uh, Mary told the servants, do whatever Jesus says to do. And Jesus said, well, go get the biggest pots and fill them with water and then go serve the guests. <laughs> so these poor, these poor servants that are filling all these pots with water and then they're dipping out this water into pitchers and going and serving it to the guests. And that had to be a tension city, you know. But you know what the guests said? Why did you save, save the best wine till last? This is good stuff. <laughs> God saved the embarrassment of this woman by changing the water into wine. He changed the circumstances that she was experiencing at the time. And then in Luke 17, Jesus changed the funeral into a festival 
when he was approaching the city of Nain, there was a funerals, uh, uh, what do they call them? Procession, on the way to the cemetery. And it was the widow Nain, she was burying her only son. And it was a great day of sorrow, because she wouldn't have anybody to take care of her in her old age. And uh, Jesus walks up and raises him from the dead. And they go back to town and have a festival. They had a party. My son was dead, and now he is alive. And then in John chapter 8, he changed the life of a harlot who was going to be stoned by the uh, Pharisees. They had the stones in their hands, and they brought her to Jesus, wanting Jesus to condemn her and judge her. And Jesus just knelt on the ground and began to write something in the sand, possibly the sins that they were involved in. And uh, they began to drop their stones, and they all walked away. And Jesus said, where are your accusers? And she said, I, I don't have any. He said, I don't accuse you either. Go and don't sin anymore. See, people, people don't need condemnation. They need forgiveness. They need direction. Just start serving Jesus. Don't sin anymore. Just start walking with the Lord. He'll change the circumstances if we'll present them to him. Jesus specializes in changing circumstances and setting people free. Remember my friend Ron Rerick, the big sinner? He's doing 25 years on McNeil Island in the middle of Puget Sound. And he received Jesus by, uh, received Jesus, but circumstances didn't change. He's still doing 25 years, and he has to do that. And when he was sentenced, he swore that he would kill Judge Ritter. Judge Ritter was 75 years old, 76 years old, and uh, 25 years would make him 101. And it's kind of doubtful that he'd even be around when Ron Rerick got out of McNeil Island. But the first person that Ron ever prayed for was that judge. <laughs> Sometimes you need to pray for your adversary. Okay? And he prayed for the old judge. And a couple months later, he got a he got a uh, invitation from Judge Ritter to appear in his courtroom. So him and his lawyers go all the way to Salt Lake to appear in the courtroom. And the day before he goes... He's supposed to appear in court. Judge Ritter has a heart attack. So they get in the car, him and his lawyers, and go all the way back to McNeil Island. Several months later, they get another invitation. He goes back to Salt Lake, sitting in Judge Ritter's courtroom, and Judge Ritter says, What are you doing in my courtroom, son? Well, he said, Judge, I'm here at your request, Your Honor. And... Uh, Judge Ritter said, I want you to approach the bench. He said, I don't know why, but I just found it in my heart to set you free. Set him free. 25 years went by just like that. And he went back and put all of his stuff in a little duffel bag and left McNeil Island never to see it again circumstances were changed. 
And he went from being a drug runner, murderer, to being a pastor. Because God changed his circumstances. And see, God's never seen a person he didn't love. He's never seen a sinner he couldn't save. He's never seen a sickness he couldn't heal. He's never seen a circumstance he couldn't change. But there's one more thing that God's never seen, and that is he's never seen a substitute for his son. Did you hear me? He's never seen a substitute for his son. We live in a day that declares that there are many ways to God. And some churches who once proclaimed Jesus as Savior now says, there's many ways to God. Many, many, many ways to God. But the God's Word says in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, would you read it with me? There, it's on the back. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. There it is. Let's read 1 John 2.18. My little children, this is the last hour, and just as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen. For this we know, it is the last hour. Just in the 50 years that your pastor and I have been pastoring, there have been many Antichrists who have risen and led people to their damnation. Because they said, we're the Messiah. We're the ones you need to follow. See, and God's word is very clear. The only way is Jesus Christ. The only way is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. Is he your Savior? See, if he's not your Savior, you don't have one. Because there isn't one. He is the only one. He is the only Savior. Mary Baker Patterson Glover Eddy can't help you a bit. Joseph Smith can't help you a bit. Sung Young Moon can't help you a bit. But Jesus Christ is a Savior. He's a Savior. He's the one who has the gift of eternal life to give you and to give me. Amen. Amen. So Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. He's the Savior. Hallelujah. I want to draw your attention to a verse in Revelation chapter 3. It says here, He's writing to the church at Laodicea. See, when Christ gets ready, when Christ comes, his first concern was for his church. So he wrote these letters so they could get their acts together. Because none of these churches are perfect. Okay? And this one particular church of Laodicea says, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. Now, I know that's not true here because you're trying to do a building program. <laughs> you have need of a lot, don't you? Okay. <laughs> and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined 
in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, and that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed, and that you'll anoint your eyes so that you may see. You notice what he said there? I want you to anoint your eyes so you can see. I want you to anoint your eyes so you can see. See, God wants us to have the same kind of vision that he has. He wants us to be able to see like he sees so that when people come into this place or wherever you are and you see people, you'll see them the way that God sees them. And God has never seen a person he didn't love. Never seen a person you didn't love. So what if a what if a person of Islam moves next door to you? What are you supposed to do? Nothing. What happens if some gays move in next to you? What are you supposed to do? Love them. Yeah. I mean, we're to love them. That's our message. God loves you. <laughs> he has a wonderful plan for your life. Amen? Yeah. Amen. See, that's, that's it. That's it. Praise the Lord. And so we need to see that way. He's never seen a sinner he couldn't save. See, no matter what the sin is, Christ can bring salvation to that person. What is the sickness? Do they have MS? Do they have lupus? Do they have cancer? Do they have failing kidneys? What, what do they have? What's the disease? Do they have diabetes? Jesus can heal all that stuff. He can heal all that stuff. It comes in different ways. I was a diabetic, but I'm not anymore. My toes aren't even numb. My A1C is five and a half. I and I was I was in bad shape. I didn't know if I was going to make it. I thought I might be checking out, but the Lord healed me. The Lord can heal all of those things. He can change your circumstances. He can change the circumstances of anybody of, that you know. You know. He can turn it all around if we'll put our trust in Him, yes. if we'll call upon Him. See? And you and I need to see people the way Jesus sees them so that we can see people saved and healed and circumstances change through our ministry because He's the head of the church and we're His body and these are His hands where his power resides. Amen? Amen. Stand with me, would you? Your pastors are coming up here with me and my wife, and we want to make it a, this time available just to pray for you. Maybe you want your eyes, us to anoint your eyes so you can see the way Jesus sees. Maybe you have difficulty with that. 
See, we're always being stretched when we're in the kingdom of God because God's going to put something else on us to require a little more of us than we have before. Have you ever noticed yourself being stretched as a Christian? Yeah. And see, maybe maybe going in and praying for somebody is a stretch for you. Okay, well, we're going to help you do that by anointing your hands so you can do that. Okay? 